Welcome to the OWLS podcast, brought to you by the Ampi Alumni Association. Here, we feature conversations with Ampi alumni and special guests who have a unique story to tell about their time at Ampi, their career paths, and the lessons that they learned along the way. I am your host, Evan Zerkadis, class of 2020, and the president of the Ampi Alumni Association. In this episode of OWLS, we are bringing you another unique and inspiring Ampi alum that just can't stop talking about his time at Ampi. Patrick Manifold, class of 2013, has a long title and a longer list of accomplishments. He's a motivational speaker, inspiring author, entrepreneur, and former professional athlete, originally from England, but currently based in Atlantic Canada with his wife and three daughters. After succeeding in making his childhood dreams come true and transforming his own life, he decided to share what he discovered with the world through his books, public speaking, podcasts, and social media, in the hope to help as many people as possible to live happier, healthier, and more fulfilling lives. Patrick believes that each one of us should make it our mission to create a life you love, which is also the name of his successful podcast. In our conversation, we talked about Patrick's journey from England to Ampi, his career in basketball in the collegiate and professional level, his life journey over many countries and many experiences, his thoughts and guidance on personal success and motivation, his family, and of course his passion and love for Ampi. You can find links to Patrick's website, podcast, and books in the episode's description. I loved my conversation with Patrick. He's an incredibly inspiring individual with a bright and hopeful message for all of us, and I learned so much from him. I hope you enjoy it too. Well, hello, Patrick. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining uh, the OWLS podcast. My pleasure, Evan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And where are you calling us from today? Today, I am at my office in Amherst, Nova Scotia, which Nova is where Scotia. we live. Me and Chelsea, my partner, who's also a ex-UMP uh, alumni. Oh, perfect. I didn't know that. that that's really cool. Yeah. So Nova Scotia. All right. Um, I love the place. Uh, been a few times. Uh, I hope it's faring well with you so far. We love it. Uh, basically, after I retired from basketball, we kind of had to pick somewhere in the world that we wanted to go. And uh, very quickly, either Presque Isle, that area, or you know Nova Scotia, near where Chelsea's mom and dad are. Um, but yeah, we chose here and we love it. And we've started a life. And uh, yeah, it's only been about five years, four or five years since we moved here. But yeah, we love it. Perfect. That's great to hear. Um, again, I like to start our conversation uh, by telling me a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, your beginnings, um, where you're originally from, um, and kind of how you got to that point where you um, I where, where you attended Ampi and kind of, you, you know, your career aspirations as, as a young individual. Right. So you got a few minutes, right? Because that's a little bit of a long story. I got a few. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So I grew up in England, a place called Great Yarmouth, and I didn't. I used to love football or soccer, as you guys call it. Uh, and then when I was 13, my stepdad took me to the cinema to see Space Jam. And I don't know what it was about Michael Jordan, maybe it was Bugs Bunny, I don't know, uh, but I fell in love with basketball. And I left the cinema that day, and I was like, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. And I started telling everybody around me that I was going to follow in Michael Jordan's footsteps. I was going to go to America one day. I was going to play professionally one day. And everybody told me I was crazy. 
I was, you know, I was coming from this uh, small seaside town in England when people didn't really play basketball. Um, and there was, it wasn't even on television. That's how like weird it was for me to want to play. Um, but I kept persevering and then long story short, uh, lots of failures and then started to get pretty good when I was, you know, like in my late teens. And that's when I actually, I met an American who was playing professionally in the UK and he said, how come you never went to the States? So I was like, well, uh, everyone told me I'm not good enough. So I just never really looked into it. He was like, dude, if you went, like, you could be really good. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, yeah, his name was Craig. And uh, he's amazing for kind of getting me to basically re like change the way I was thinking. Like, I didn't think that was possible for me. So I started looking into it. I started recording my games on like cell phones and like anything I could get my hands on. Uh, made a little like highlight tape and then made a website and then shipped it to honestly maybe 150 random universities all across the united states like that was my dream like i'd kind of that childhood dream i had kind of got reawakened in me and i just started sending out cold emails to coaches to assistants to friends of wives of anybody that was associated with the university in america because i had no idea or any of the context i just knew i wanted to go to america anyway and then a bunch of people maybe 30 people out of the like 200 actually replied most of them saying no thanks um and then there was like five or ten that were like quite eager but there was this one guy from Presque Isle and I looked at it on the on the map and I looked at like the wiki wikipedia page and it was like snow and I was like wow I've never seen snow before that looks amazing anyway Terry Cummins was the guy uh, and he basically recruited me as like a six eight point guy which is uh, that was my position I was playing in the UK We'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, so he was working really, really hard. And then I was, I think I was 20 at the time. And I was trying to go through all this stuff. I had to go and take my SATs. And I wasn't a very good student academically. Um, so that was a big struggle for me. But eventually it actually happened. And it felt like a dream. Uh, and I left my family behind and moved to America to pursue this kind of childhood dream. And everybody that knew me back home thought I was going to be back in a couple of months, you know, basically everyone told me like why do you think you can go to america and try and play like their national sport like you should be stick to football or you should do something else but you can't compete with these people um so everyone thought i was just going to get sent home because i wasn't good enough and all those kind of things but you know i got a lot of self-belief and i started to work hard in the classroom and on the basketball court and really great things happened to me but i want to tell one story i was i didn't know how any of this worked right and Jessica Blackstone, who was working in the administration department at that time, I remember she used to stay in the office until like 10, 11 o'clock at night just to like make sure that the things that I was sending was going through because of the time difference and stuff. And I always remembered like, wow, like how amazing must these people be that they're willing to come in late and work late for someone on, across the other side of the world that they don't even know. Uh, so that she was, she is incredible. But that is kind of like, that's like the umpy story. Like people go above and beyond for you. And that's why I fell in love with the place just because people were just so kind. Uh, and where I come from, everyone's like really busy and rushing around, but everyone's just so sweet and lovely there. And that was kind of like my favorite thing about moving to Prescott. So at least that's the first part of the story about how I, how I got to umpy. Uh, so that move happened in 2009. Um, Correct. And so you knew nothing about the United States. You've never been to the state. Nope. And Prescott, I assume, was, you know, your first American experience in many ways. 100%. I had absolutely no idea what to expect. I figured there might be a Walmart somewhere. Um, I figured people might be carrying guns. Like, I had no idea. Like, just from literally just from the movies. We were wow. we were pretty poor growing up. 
So I used to dream about one day being like 40, 50 years old and being able to go on vacation for like a week to the United States. Like, cause that was so far fetched to even visit there, let alone like live there. So I had no idea. All I knew is like all the movies and the music that I liked was all coming from America. So I figured there would be something, something there that I would like. Yes. Yes. I definitely relate. I, I come right. from Greece, so it's exactly the same thing. Right. Um, but for you to, you know, go and by yourself, not knowing anybody and, you know, from all places you end up, um, uh, in Prescott, that's quite, right. um, uh, that's that, that that's quite magnificent in many ways, and it talks a lot about I think uh, the connections that you make with people because you know you you got there because of you know you built that a strong connection with somebody, um, and I think that's how it happens with a lot of older people as well that end up at Audi. Right. right, but it, no, it, it really is a special place, and I could talk all day about the people and how my how good of experience I had. Well, today we're here to talk about you, so <laughs> let's start with that. <laughs> Perfect. I guess uh, let's let's take a little bit about the um, transition. Um, talk to me about the transition from the UK to the US, uh, and especially I, I, again being in, in Northern Maine from all places. Um, what kind of impact did that do you think it had on you, and how you developed afterwards? The, the honest truth is that that period, that four year period, was the biggest transition slash change period in my entire life. I had a mindset going in before I moved to America of how I thought the world was. And then I got on a plane and I flew, you know, 4,000 kilometers or 4,000 miles, whatever it is. And everything, everything shifted for me. Like I had just read a book not that long before that, which kind of started to change my mind and open up to new possibilities. And then when I got there, I actually, I read about 100, 190 to 200 of all the best personal development books and autobiographies about great men and women throughout the world, I became truly obsessed with personal development. Uh, and it was because I, I had to be a better version of myself in order to meet the goals that I had. So as soon as I made it to Umpy, I was like, wow, my dream came true. What else can I dream? And then I thought, now I'm going to dream about being a professional athlete. And again, everyone's going to tell you you're crazy. But last time they did that and it still came true. So maybe you should try again. And I started thinking about these other things about being wanting to be a great man in the world and not just kind of like one dimensional. So throughout throughout that four year period, I worked at Gentile Hall. Uh, sorry, Dick, I read far too many books while I was supposed to be working. I apologize, buddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was that whole time is I was getting nurtured and supported by all the teachers in the places that I struggled, like in math. That wasn't my my best subject. And Wendy, who's an incredible lady, became my math tutor. And like everywhere I went, everyone that I asked for help, they helped me. And I wasn't, I wasn't used to that. And I wanted to be a better reflection of that kind of kind, helpful person. Uh, so yeah, my life completely changed while I was umpy because mm. yeah, like I, I thought I just wanted basketball. Uh, and my parents said to me before I left, you know, you can't just play basketball because you have to become eligible and you have to stay eligible in order to play. You have to get like a 2.0 or 2.1 GPA. And I promised my family, which later on helped me so much before I left, I said, I promise to try as hard in the classroom as I do on the basketball court. I don't know what that means. I didn't have any experience being a good student. Never read a book before I went to Umpy. Never read a single book in my life from cover to cover until I went to university. And I was just completely winging it and just asking people, you know, how do I learn? How do I do better? How do I do this? And yeah, I became a like a straight A student. And it and it's the craziest thing because my dad is probably more proud of my basketball stuff that I achieved there. But my mom, when I first told her I got my first A, and then I told her when I got my first 4.0. And then when she came to see me graduate, 
and I had a three point, I think it was like a 3.98 community GPA or something like that. And she, she couldn't believe it. She was so proud because she, my mom's a teacher uh, and she wanted to see me excel in academically. And she'd never seen that before because I'd never really applied myself. But being at the University of Maine, Prescott, it taught me how to apply myself and it was okay to apply myself because where I came from, as silly as it sounds saying it out loud, trying hard wasn't cool. And that sounds stupid, I know, but there was just this, this like this mindset, this negative mindset. You don't want to try too hard because that's that's not cool. And what I learned during that period is trying hard is so cool. Like trying hard and achieving things, like it, it, I became addicted to it. So that's when I started like working to get as many awards off the court as I was getting on it. And it became a slight obsession of mine to win as many awards as humanly possible. Uh, but I needed that. I needed like to gamify that challenge because other like the grind was so long and so hard that if I didn't have like rewards at the end of it, then I wouldn't have done it. So yeah, I learned all that while during my time that you made PI and uh, I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I did uh, from my research, uh, I did see quite a lot of awards. So you did, you definitely achieved that for sure. <laughs> um, very fortunate. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it, it talks a lot about, you know, your, again, your, your, your passion and the ability to, to, you know, achieve what you came there to do. Um, how about basketball? How, how was that? Uh, any expectations uh, met or was it uh, completely nothing you have imagined? Uh, how was that experience? It was all that and more. It was like, because uh, like I said, everyone's like, everyone's going to be so much bigger than you used to and so much stronger and everyone could shoot like, I had never get, been in one place where so many good players like existed and I, all my teammates were so talented and they all worked hard. And I was just like, wow, like this is going to be easily the biggest challenge of my life up to that point, just to be able to play. Like in my mind, you know, I want to be a star. I want to be the best. But then I get there and everybody's great. Hmm. So now it's just like, uh oh, and now I'm a freshman and I'm trying to compete with these people that have been there, like the juniors and seniors been there for four years and had been playing basketball since, you know, since they were toddlers. And here I am picking the ball up late and trying to trying to compete. But I do believe that having that sincere like belief in yourself and that willingness to basically outwork everybody, like that helped me so much because I was just like, okay, this is my goal. This is my dream. And the only way I can make it happen is to keep being inquisitive, keep working hard, keep doing more than everybody says is possible, uh, and then just see where the chips fall, fall as they may, right? So I was fortunate basketball started to go well as I kind of picked up my feet and became comfortable. Every year I kind of got a bit better. Uh, I had a transition in coaches, which is a challenge, but I love uh, Terry Cummins and everything that he did for me. I love Jim Cassiano, my second coach, uh, both very different, but very smart, very good coaches uh, and grateful to have had them uh, and had them to lead me. And I was fortunate to be, you know, the captain of the teams, which meant a lot to me personally. Uh, you know, coming from coming from England, I don't think anyone was anticipating that that would happen. Uh, so I think it was uh, my sophomore year, maybe I became uh, a captain and uh, never let go. Like that was my that was my thing. I wanted to lead my teammates and be there for them. Um, and I was very driven. Um, but I had some incredible teammates over the years, and I can't name them all now, but they know who they are. Uh, and I enjoyed playing with every single one of them. They they brought out the best in me uh, and allowed me to be myself. And I'm appreciative of that. So you come to Ampi 2009, uh, majoring in business management, um, playing basketball, uh, doing great at school. I see here, you know, you, you finished with uh, 1,351 points, uh, which made you top three um, all-time scorers in Ampi's history. So that's definitely something to, you know, 
look back upon and you know see how much you really got to uh, to immerse yourself into your sports uh did you know that at this time you know after i graduate i want to pursue this or did that develop uh, a little bit afterwards i knew that as soon as i was on the plane like okay. i mean i knew that earlier but like it became solidified when i was on the plane that i couldn't i couldn't fail like i i couldn't fail because i had to achieve this next dream i had to show what was possible for not just me but for my family and for the people around me so yes i was very aware of it and that's why i was so driven uh, to the point where i'm pretty sure not everyone liked me just because i was so like laser focused but it was like i, I don't have a choice like i know for some people like chasing your goals and chasing your dreams is like a choice like maybe you can pick it up and put it down but for me it was i was so passionate about it i could see it so clearly in my mind no one else could and that's okay because why would they but for me i was like if i do everything i possibly can because remember i went to uh, when i arrived there i was 175 pounds six foot seven 175 pounds and i had this dream in my mind like if you if, if by senior year you can be 225 pounds of pure muscle you'll be a beast you'll be big enough to be able to compete with people overseas professionals etc so that was kind of like yeah it was in my mind not from day one but every minute of every day from day one like I, it never left my mind that goal and yeah i'm so grateful of uh how things turned out and i had a I had a good senior year which started badly i think like six games in i came down and hurt my ankle and like really like my, the worst injury of my career uh, and i remember being out the back sitting in the athletic training i think i can't remember the i think it was colby college uh, i want to say like blue and white i can see it like it was yesterday and i'm sitting on the thing and they're saying you you have to uh, take about six weeks off and then you know go to your trainers and ask them to do rehab and all that kind of stuff and i was like i'm playing the second half and they're like you can't like look what you just did you can't i said i'm playing the second half taper up let's go and i went and i in the i'm not gonna say what i did in the dressing room i took some um let's just say i took a couple of painkillers um <laughs> whatever it took because in my mind it was like no i've come way too far i've worked way too hard you're not going to take this away from me so i tied up my shoelaces up tight got my foot uh, my ankle strapped for the first time in my life and i went and played I ended up having like 19 points in the second half had a dunk like i remember it like it was yesterday i also remember my ankle bone smashing against the ground so loud that i thought it was like a gunshot like i didn't know what the hell it was so yeah like and that just that little story and i remember it so vividly because that was a, a turning point for me it was like this and most people would just say oh damn you know now i have a good excuse as to why i couldn't turn professional because i got hurt and i've met so many people in my life that couldn't they were going to do this but then this happened and i was like that ain't going to be my story so i you know i kept playing and for the rest of my senior year i had to hobble into practice chelsea would have to literally chelsea is only five feet tall she would put her i put my arm around her and she'd help me hobble upstairs at home so i'd be in so much pain and I just turn up to practice an hour early, have to do all the rehab stuff just to be able to walk. And then I played and obviously had a pretty good senior year uh, and was when I was named National Player of the Year, which was a something that actually wasn't even a goal of mine because I didn't know it existed. I was trying to be an All-American and I had All-American written all around my house. I used to, my senior year, I made Chelsea call me that as a nickname. She said, hey, All-American, what time are you going to be home for dinner? Like, I was obsessed, absolutely obsessed. And thankfully it did happen for me. Uh, but it, it only happened because I made, I felt like I just made it happen, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like manifested with you exactly know, before I knew what that was. Yeah. Right. And then everything falling fell into place. Right. Um, 
Do you have any most memorable experience from all those years that you played basketball? Any particular game that stood out? Any particular experience that that you know it's the that's the thing that you always uh, come back to? That was one what the story I just told because that was like yeah. my it was kind of my dream was kind of hanging in the balance. I had a game against Eastern Nazarene, and I can't remember exactly what happened, uh, but me and coach were kind of like we had a small disagreement uh, in the last game. I can't remember what it was about now. But I came into the next game and me and him were, you know, there was a little bit of friction. And then he said, are you ready to go? I said, I feel ready to go, coach. And then I had the first 18 points of the game. And I don't know, like everything, like the stars were aligning. It just felt, everything felt natural. I ended up having 33 that game. Uh, I think like 33 points and 15 rebounds or something, like a big game. And that, that kind of sticks out in my mind. The Fort Kent games, like almost every Fort Kent game sticks out in my mind. Like I can remember it so vividly. The last Fort Kent game, I think, was senior night, which really sticks out in my mind. I think I had like 26 points. We beat Fort Kent at home. Everyone was screaming. Every, like the, There was absolutely no space in that gym. Like It was completely packed. And I remember uh, Bonnie and Arthur, who I love so much, who I didn't even mention that. When I moved to uh, Prescott, I didn't live in the dorms. I li went and lived with a lady called Bonnie Devaney uh, mm. and her husband, Arthur. Uh, and they basically looked like... I became like their surrogate son. Like they literally became family to me still to the point now where they are the uh, Grammy and Gramps of my three children. Uh, so yeah, I still take Umpy with me to this day and they're just incredible. And like, it was like, it was like having family uh, over there. Cause I was kind of lonely, right? I didn't know anybody, didn't right. have friends or those kind of things. So they kind of like took me in and kind of taught me about how to, how to not how to be an American, but how to survive and how to thrive in an American environment. Um, which was a, a, a real blessing for me. So I love those guys so much. They are family to me now. Uh, and just like the rest of Umpy, like it's a, it's just a really special place with special people. Mm -hmm. Yes, that, I, I, I love hearing these stories uh, from a whole range of alumni, for sure. Right. Cool. So um, you go through all of that four years. You graduated in 2013. Um, and 2013, from what I've gathered from uh, my research, was a big year for you. Uh, so you graduate 2013 from MP, um, and then you have your first professional experience uh, playing basketball for yeah. Glasgow Rocks in 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 Scotland. Yeah, so um, it was a it was a crazy thing. Like obviously, we had just been talked about how how obsessed I was about making that dream come true, and then I graduated, and I was like summa cum laude, and I was so excited, and I started actually started writing a book right around the same time, right, and I basically I, I didn't know how to navigate the world of professional basketball i lent on my coaches and some people that put me in in contact with a few people ended up getting an, an agent his name was jim norton uh, and he had a couple of nba players on his book so i was like super excited uh, and he did everything he could to get me the best contract he could and the first one was i think it was i was in nova scotia when i found out because he had been talking to a few different teams and then we were kind of trying to consider which contract to take and we ended up doing it. And then I spoke to the coach in Glasgow, Sterling. And then I remember signing the contract. And I was at a desk just like this in Chelsea's bedroom at home. And I like, I, she took a picture of me signing it. I've still got it somewhere. But I was like, as soon as I put that pen down, I just started crying. Because as soon as I signed that piece of paper, that was a contract that said Patrick Manifold was now a professional basketball player. And for all my life, I had dreamed that. And now it actually was true. And it was uh, so special. Couldn't have happened without my experience through Umpy. Couldn't have happened without my coaches and my teammates throughout the years. And couldn't have happened without uh, Chelsea and Bonnie and Arthur and their support. 
and my family back home so it was a a lot of sacrifices to get there but as soon as it happened I was just like wow Mm -hmm. like dreams really do come true and I've just been um like on fire with that thought ever since like everyone has that told me all those things were impossible and now to me that what those two experiences proved is that nothing is impossible if you believe in yourself enough and you're willing to work hard enough and you're willing to change your approach until you get there anything is possible Uh, so that's literally how i live my life and that's kind of like what i try and teach and now i get to i've got the good fortune of people pay me to go and stand on stages and speak and tell them you know kind of my my story Uh, and i get to do that all around the world and it's the most amazing thing because people need to hear that people need to hear that that thing that they think is impossible actually isn't and they can actually have it Uh, and i'm super excited and proud to be able to kind of share and spread that message Um, so 2013, you signed, you playing professional basketball. You also found your first company, Manifold Motivation, um, which is a full-time service, um, a full-service business dedicated to helping people achieve their own ambitions and dreams in life. Um, and you also published your first book, uh, Change Your Life, Le- um, Learn the Secrets uh, of Self-Discipline. Uh, yes. So quite, quite a packed year. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but you know what? after i uh after the basketball season finished which is like february march kind of time there was still like three or four months before graduation something mm-hmm. like that and i found myself with like start, like i could was still working out obviously to try and train for pro but i had so much extra time we went on the road traveling to boston and new york and all these places so i found myself with all this time and for whatever re- i guess i just started to become very grateful that that journey that i'd been on had taught me everything i needed to know to, to make my dream come true and then one day I was like driving through campus and I thought, I know what it is. It's my ability to get myself to do things, even when I don't want to, that allowed all those dreams to come true. Now, looking back, self-discipline was a terrible subject for my first book because that's like the least sexiest thing in the world. Like who wants to pick up a book and learn about self-discipline? Nobody. But it really is the one tangible thing that potentially set me apart from other people is the fact that I could get myself to do whatever I told myself to do. Now, not the boring stuff like going to bed early and you know eating the right food. It's a little bit more challenging. But when mm-hmm. it comes to making my dreams come true, and if it's important enough to me, I will move hell and high water to to go through and do whatever I can. So that was why I wrote that book. And I did it in that period between basketball season finishing and graduation because I just had a little bit extra time. And that, again, set off the journey is that my speaking started right around the same time. I was in a class and we had to go and give but Brian his name with one of my professors. He said, I want you to give a speech. And I was so scared. Like I'd never been more scared of anything, even basketball, like to stand on a or stand. It was actually in the fishbowl in the uh, umpy. And yeah. he said, you just have to give a speech. There's going to be like 20 people there. Uh, and if you do that, then you'll get a grade or whatever. And that's what you need to, to pass. And I was at this point, I was a little bit weird. And I said, I'll tell you what, that scares the hell out of me. I'll do it, but I'll only do it if we like advertise it and we try and fill the whole place. Because if I'm going to do it, instead of doing it for 20, why not do it for 200? Uh, and he was like, okay. <laughs> and he was kind of pushing me. He believed in me. He he felt that I had something to say that other people, it would help them. Um, and I didn't really know what that meant, but I just kind of put my little philosophy on success together. And I remember that day, I was so terrified. I practiced that speech so many times. And then I'm in there in the fishbowl and I'm looking up and every single seat is taken. Even people are sitting on the steps in the aisle. And I'm saying, okay, here we go. And actually, there was after that speech, I got a standing ovation. And a lady from, 
what's the i think it was not caribou it was um anyway it'll come to me eastern eastern high school she came down to me she was like the third person she came and shook my hand she said would you be willing to give that speech to my students and i was like absolutely uh, and then I literally, I went home, went on Vistaprint, ordered some uh, business cards, which said like motivational speaker. Um, and that's where that second part of my journey about not being an entrepreneur, hadn't really got there yet, but being wanting to be an author and a speaker, that's kind of like set that on fire. Um, so literally, when you retrace the roots of a lot of my success, it comes from experiences I had when I was at the University of Maine. The question that came to my mind, you going through that story is, what so is one as an advice uh, of how can people, you know, instead of thinking that, okay, this is too big of a feat for me to do, um, what is maybe like one advice of a small step that somebody can take to do something like you just did? Say, I don't want 21 people, I want I want 200 people and just, you know, I'm uh, going to do double so I can move forward in 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 my goal. People People think that, like I'm, I'm like a motivational guy and really I'm not, I'm like, I'm like a strategy guy because what I learned is that I was always searching for motivation and I'd find it and it would motivate me and I'd be like, ah, you know, let's go for like a day or two. And then I'd be tired again and then I'd whatever. So it's, it's really not a rah, rah motivation thing. It's more of a strategy thing and a, a shift in your mindset. One of my favorite exercises to get people to do is to write like an honest appraisal of like where their life is right now like where they are in like the key areas, say relationships, finances, uh, emotions, you know, are you contributing to society, blah, 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 like, you know, five or 10 different aspects of life and then say where you are on there. And then take a, another sheet of paper and write out in those categories, what the dream version of you looks like. So for me, I was like a skinny, uh, skinny kid that wasn't strong, etc. So in in that in the health and body part, I was like, he's 225 pounds of pure muscle uh, and he's you know he's jacked he's this and then in the like um, in the relationship thing here's my dream relationship here's how people see me like a really good question is what is your what do people think of you what do they say about you behind your back so anyway so i would get people to write down these two and basically what you can have is like a contrast of here's where you are and here's where you want to be what's actually stopping you from getting there okay so then you can start to make goals the problem is most things seem so big that people don't even try Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the worst part. All you have to do is put one foot and step like step one foot in front of the other, and you eventually you're going to get a million miles. But most people look at it and say, "Wow, that's so far away. I'm not even going to start," and they just stay on the couch. But I like the fact that by having the contrast, most people don't even know what they want. Right? Most people do not know what they want. All they know is they don't like what they have, and that's not a good enough strategy. Like, yeah, I don't like. Okay, so what's next? What do you want? Because once you know what you want, you can set a goal for it. And if you don't think that you believe it, now you can work on, okay, how do I cultivate self-belief? The best way, the only way to become confident is to prove to yourself that you're capable of it, right? And sometimes that's in the darkness. Sometimes that's in silence. No one else knows. But if you can find ways to have small victories, that those victories can compound on themselves and cause you to be way more confident as a person. But you become the type of person who's willing and worthy of achieving your next goal. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not really a, like a, unfortunately, like a quick, uh, I would read, I'd read books that if I was going to give someone advice, I would say, start reading like personal development books and books about great people who have done great things. Uh, and then let that inspire you enough to at least have an introspective look at your life and say, you know what, I'm grateful to have this, this, and this, but I'm 300 pounds overweight. Like, 
something's got to change, right? There's something in all of our lives which we kind of leave on the back burner and we don't think it's important enough until it's too late. Uh, so that would be probably having creating those two lists would probably be my my number one strategy. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. The micro victories, micro successes. Yeah, yeah. So okay, so you play in Scotland, England, and from what I see here, you also played in Australia, Germany, and Italy. Yes. All right. All right. That's quite- and I loved it. <laughs> quite arranged yes i bet you I, did <laughs> i have to i have to try and remember those in order because people always ask me what places i've played and then i have to go okay it was the usa england and then there was scotland england again uh then i moved after scott after england and which is in surrey i went to melbourne australia which chelsea came with me and we absolutely loved it and then after that we went to germany just outside of berlin uh, and then the, the final year 2018 was in italy uh, in a beautiful beautiful city uh, called Gaule or Bergamo, which is about probably about 30 minutes outside of Milan or Milano. Uh, and it was just an inc- incredible experience. And that's why I'm so grateful for basketball because it literally took me all around the world. I didn't have any money. Like all I had was my ability to put a rubber ball through a metal hoop. Like that was all I had. Uh, and that gave me like everywhere I went, everything got paid for. And I could have never done that. I could have never had those experiences without basketball. Uh, and I know a lot of effort went into it. And I do believe that I earned those experiences, but it still basketball became the vehicle which allowed me to become the man I wanted to be. Uh, so traveling was something I'd always wanted to do, but could never afford to do. So thankfully, basketball, I got good enough and people wanted to uh, have me as part of their team in these places around the world. And it wasn't just the basketball. It was the, yes, there's so many wonderful things like, you know, taking selfies of people and signing autographs and all those things is wonderful. Uh, but it's also the people you meet and the experiences you get to have. When I moved back to Nova Scotia, I was a, so much more of a well-rounded individual because I'd met tens or hundreds of thousands of people from all walks of life, many of which I didn't even speak their language. But I learned all these experiences about life that I would have never had otherwise. So when I'm making decisions now in this, you know, the small place that I'm in, I'm doing it with a global perspective with tens of thousands of people who I've had these conversations with, which has changed my my thoughts on life and how things should be. And uh, what I basically learned is that we're all the same. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're different colors, we're different shapes, we're different accents, we're different this and that. But really at our core, we just want to be safe. We just want to be loved. We just want to make a difference. We want to feel like we're contributing something to the people around us. And uh, having, and that's what I ended up starting a marketing company. And a big part of that is because all the experiences I had around the world and I could just have a, a very unique perspective uh, on human nature and what makes us do what we do because that was like my obsession when i was when i was an umpy i was like why don't i why do i have these beliefs and it wasn't until you start to uncover the reasons why you have these limiting beliefs that it's like it's like complete freedom once you find them you're like what the hell was i thinking like that's not true but until you get out your own way and you learn that you can't really change anything so yes thought fortunately i have been able to travel the world and uh, i feel like i'll travel lots more in the future and hopefully one day I go to Greece and maybe stay at your place. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And, and how did uh, your basketball career um, end and what, what year was that? My basketball career ended in 2018. We had just left Italy uh, and we were basically every year we would go to the place and then we'd go back and spend a kind of month, couple of months with my family back in England. And yes, we did the same. And Chelsea started to feel a bit queasy one day. Uh, and then all of a sudden it can, happened every day for like a couple of weeks, always in the morning. 
And she was like, you don't think, do you? And I was like, well, let's, you know, let's take a test and find out. She took the pregnancy test and we got the result. And 32 seconds later, I retired from professional basketball. I, I had had enough experiences in my life and meeting other players that had left their families, wives and kids behind. And I always said, like, as soon as it happens, that I, I'm ready to go. I had so much fun with basketball. I've, I've achieved a lot of what I wanted to achieve. And I don't want to be an absentee father. I wanted to be around every minute of every day, if possible, to be around them. So I retired in 2018. And then we moved to Nova Scotia and then started basically part, kind of part three of my life, which I'm, I'm loving. And uh, every day is getting even better. So I feel truly, truly grateful. And as I say the word grateful, I'm reminded of a time that I was driving down Holton Road in Presque Isle. And I was looking at the beautiful mountains in the background and I, and I was, had this kind of like a, epiphany and it said, the more grateful I am for all the wonderful things I have in my life is attracting more things into my life to be grateful for. And when I, I kind of had that, that moment, that understanding, I have been obsessed with gratitude ever since. And yeah, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm blessed beyond belief. And I don't know why these amazing things keep happening to me, but I know that the more, the harder I work and the more grateful I am for those things, they keep happening. So I'm just going to kind of keep going with it. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I personally admire that. Um, not a lot of people would do that in, in, it's my personal belief, um, leaving a, a career, especially in sports for family. And that's, I think, I mean, commendable for sure. A lot of, a lot of my uh, players told me I was crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, had, that's what I was a, going for. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But honestly, Family is the most important thing to me. It, there's nothing that's more important than like what what a huge responsibility to mold a human being. Mm -hmm. like, yes, basketball, I love it, absolutely love it, but it it pales in comparison to nurturing a child to become a great human being in this world. So now I'm fortunate to have have three little girls who I adore: Sophia, Sienna, and Savannah. Who Savannah's only like three weeks old, so. Uh, I'm still kind of on cloud nine a little bit again, lots of cuddles in with her. And yeah, I just want to, everything that I've been through, I want to kind of pass on to them. I started learning this stuff when I was at University of Maine Prescott, like 20 to 24 kind of age, 25. And uh, they're learning it from like months two to four. Like I'm, read, I'm reading a self-help book to my daughter. I'm teaching her about economics. Like we're at the dinner table, we're talking about, you know, gratitude and how we should do this and do that. And um, I'm super excited for the for the little humans that they're going to turn into be, um, and yeah, I just it's the best thing I've ever done. The best thing I ever will do is being a father. Yes. Well, congratulations. Uh, Thank that, you very that much. Is, that, that is always exciting. Appreciate it. Yes. Three weeks. All right. So that that's another whole thing that you're probably going through right now for the third time. <laughs> yes, it's a lot easier now. The first time was a challenge just because you every single thing is completely brand new by the third child you're like yeah she's okay yeah don't worry about it everything's a lot more relaxed right um but trying to juggle being a parent with being a entrepreneur and having multiple businesses that's that's a that's a hard thing to do just because you you feel pulled in every direction um, but again it all comes back to i'm doing the stuff i'm doing in entrepreneurship a large part of the reason i'm doing it is for my family so that makes things a, a little easier right a common theme that I see through all of your experiences is something that a lot of people are seeking help with, which is time management. Um, yeah. And I have a question here that, that, that I've drafted. So 
playing basketball, um, starting businesses, writing books, doing all the good work that you do, now ha- having a family um, and also being an active uh, entrepreneur. What, I guess, is your secret to um, how to manage your time and prioritize your goals? Um, and, you know, what kind of strategies, again, do you offer to somebody that's uh, going through something similar? That's kind of two questions. And I'll, I'll come back to like the goal setting element of it in a minute. But for the time management, it actually most of it, again, I learned at Umpy because for the first time in my life, I had to be at different places at different times. And it wasn't just mm-hmm. like you go practice for two hours a day and then that was it, which is even when I was playing professionally, I'd have practice for two hours and have nothing else to do for the rest of the day. But while I was at school, I was trying to, not only was I trying to be a great student and get all A's in my classes, which took a lot of time in and out of class. I was also trying to be the best athlete I could be. Plus I had a part-time job. Plus I had a partner, Chelsea, who I, you know, every now and again, like to actually spend some time with. So I had to, it literally got down to the point where every 15 minutes of my day was scheduled. And we'd print off this big document that said, go here, leave here, go do this, prepare for this, take this, prep this, pack this, eat this. Like it was, it was like regimental. It was like military style. But it's it, it, for me, it all comes down to what's driving you. And if the thing that is driving you is important enough, you'll always find time for it, right? If it's, if it's not, you won't. Like I, my health, as far as like exercise and stuff like that, went on the back burner after I retired because there was no there was no benefit for it for me anymore. I, the only reason I was in such great shape and ate the way I did and you know, exercised the way I did, because on Saturday, the lights were going to be on. There's going to be thousands of people screaming either for me or at me, and I needed to be great. When I didn't have that, eating the right foods or going for a run, you know, like it just wasn't important. I've, I've tried, I've now, you know, changed that and making it important again. But when it's not important to you, you don't do it. So that's job number one is, if it's important to you, schedule it, make a plan, and you'll get better. The second part of your question about kind of how do you do everything that you love, you do have to prioritize. Like for me, I go through, like, it sounds silly when I say it out loud, but I've got like a 26-page document about my entire life, which every every year I look at, and I say, these are the goals that I want. Like I've got goals when I'm 55 years old. Like my biggest goal in my life is when I'm 55. So every single year, I'm trying to get a little bit closer to that goal. And I also have a, a goal for this year. And then I have a goal for the next three to five years. So I have like different versions of myself I can see in the future, but I know there's going to take things to get there along the way. And the best way to achieve success is to have a look at your goal and then work backwards. What has to happen? So let's say, look, look at health. If you're 50 pounds overweight, you have to lose that last five pounds. Like you've lost 45 pounds and you have to lose five more. But what got you to that point? And then what got you to that point? And you kind of work your way backwards. And so what can you do today? What can you do right now? The best, I think it was Tony Robbins that said something along the lines of never leave the place of setting a goal without doing something towards its achievement. So if right now someone's listening to this and they have a goal in their mind they want to do, they can start, they can make one call, they can send an email, they can order something on Amazon, like a weight, you know, weightlifting belt or whatever the case may be. You can do something right now that will get you a tiny little bit closer to your goal or your dream. And if you do that and you do that consistently, you create momentum. I call him Big Mo. Big Mo is momentum. Once you get that started, it's really easy to keep rolling. But if you haven't got any momentum, it's like trying to push a rock up a hill. Like it's really hard, right? So start really, really small, create that momentum. And then once you do that, hopefully you're inspired enough to create a plan. You don't have to be crazy like me and create a 26-page document manifesto about your life. You don't have to do that. But you should have at least one page. And if you don't, if you're not looking at your life and saying, 
here's where I can improve. Here's where I can get better. Here's where I can become happier. Here's where I can contribute more to society. Here's where I can just be a better person, be a happier person. If you're not taking the time to do that, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing that you don't think that you're important enough? Like if you're a parent and you're saying, all I care about is my child. No, you are the biggest example your child will ever have. And if you're not great and you're not trying to be great and you're not trying to be better, you're teaching them that it's not an important thing to do. So for me, yeah, I have to do it because if I don't do it, who the hell will, right? I have to be that inspiration to my children or hopefully in the people in my close proximity to me. And I believe it's every single human being's responsibility to do that. You should be doing that. Your mum should be doing that. Everybody should be actively looking at their life and saying, how can I be better? Because better means better, not just for you and your family, but better for everyone. So I took a lot of your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think we're going to close with two questions. The first one is, I want you, and I think it's a very fitting question because you've brought your significant other in this conversation quite a lot, Chelsea. So yes. uh, you told me she's also an Ampi alumna. Yes. So she... how, how did you two meet? Well, funny story, and I won't tell you all of it because she'll kill me. Uh, but <laughs> I went to, when I went to University of Maine Prescott, I told everybody, I was like, I'm going to stay single my whole basketball, my whole career, because I want to concentrate on basketball, concentrate on um, being the best student I can be. And then I was sitting in the, uh, the cafeteria with my coach. I think it was on like day three. Uh, and there was this really pretty girl that came in the cafeteria. And I said, coach, who's that? He said, that's the captain of the women's soccer team. And I was like, she's tiny. And he, he was like, trust me, she's is tough anyway that i think it was either that afternoon or the next day she he, he took me to support the girls soccer team and i saw her and she was just like the toughest like literally there was a girl that was like six foot two and was like she must have been i don't know i don't know i don't want to say her weight but she was large let's just say that and chelsea just ran her over like a bulldozer and she wasn't even apologetic about it like she was such a like a fierce competitor and i was like holy crap like I want to meet that person. And I did meet her and we fell in love. And uh, that was, like I said, I was going to try and stay single the whole time. I lasted four days. That was it. I was done. Um, <laughs> so, and then she stayed with me and she actually stayed a couple of years after because she was two years older or not two years older than me, but she was there two years before me. And she did uh, athletic training as a four year degree. And then she came back and did some stuff in psychology and other things. And uh, yeah, she, and then she came around with me everywhere around the world. So everywhere I went, she came. We got to experience everything together, which was incredible. Um, and she is now the most amazing mom in the world. The, just the best mother. Everything I, knew, I, everything I knew she would be, she, was, she helped me so much in my basketball career because like, she would get up at 6 a.m. and come rebound for me. Like, I don't know if you ever rebounded for anyone, but it's like the most boring thing in the world. You never get to shoot. She likes basketball. She used to play. She played a year at MP as well. Uh, so she knew what she was doing, but like literally like thousands of time in a row, just catch, run. And then if she didn't do it quick enough and it wasn't a hard enough pass, like a, a guy would do it, I was like, come on, do it better. And she's like, she was just amazing. She'd cook for me. And like when I was trying to gain weight, she was making me seven meals a day, seven meals a day, full meals. So yeah, she's done more than her fair share to kind of make sure that I'm okay and help my dreams come true. And now she's like the best mum in the world to our little girls. And uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm so grateful for her. And she, again, is a very proud University of Maine Prescott alumni. Uh, and she will say as much amazing things about the place as I did, including us being able to meet there, which obviously we're actually getting married in a couple of, in about six weeks, maybe even less now, uh, 15th of July, we're getting married. Uh, and a lot of people are going to be coming from Umpi. Uh, and yeah, it's a, it's a special thing. 
Yes, I, I wish all the best. Congratulations again. And I always Thank love he hearing um, stories of people that meet at Ampi and they stay together afterwards. It's uh, um, it's romantic. It's it's something that I, I like seeing. Um, her maid of honor is from Ampi and one of her partner, Ben and Meryl uh, Costello, he's going to be a groomsman in my wedding. So like Ampi is all, all over the shop. All right. You're yeah. you're all immersed. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Even now. Stay together. That's right. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Thank you for uh, sharing that with us. Um, and the last question is, it, it's, it's a fun one. Okay. If you could have coffee uh, with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Some, I was on a podcast recently and someone asked uh, me a similar question about having dinner uh, and said you could do it with anyone. And I picked my both my grandfathers, um, but they're not technically historical figures. So I'll I'll be good and I'll play your game. I would probably... Probably Nelson Mandela would probably okay. be the one I would go to. He has a, um, a, I read his autobiography a while ago and it kind of changed my perspective. One thing I don't have is, is patience. Like that's not, I wasn't gifted with that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not very good at forgiving things and people. And he seems so wonderful at that. So I guess I would try and meet him and try and like uh, discover how he was able to be so kind and be so considerate when, you know, everything that he went through. And there's some some others, Winston Churchill. Can I just have both of those together? I think because that would Winston Churchill and Nelson Mandela. Yeah, that would be that's a would be my coffee date right there. That's a great coffee date. <laughs> per, <laughs> perfect. Well, thank you, Patrick. Uh, for anybody listening, you can find Patrick as the host of the Create a Life You Love podcast, uh, and you can also find him on social media at Patrick Manifold. Um, is there anything else you want to add, Patrick, where people can find you? No, uh, like you said, I'm on. I'm pretty much at Patrick Manifold on all the different social media platforms. Um, and anyone that ever wants to ask me, I'm always uh, accessible. Like people send me messages and they're kind of surprised when I actually reply, but I reply to everybody. Like I, I try to help as much as I possibly can. And uh, if there's anyone out there that's an Umpi alumni or Umpi student, uh, teacher, anyone that's associated with it, I promise I will bend over backwards to help you. So uh, feel free to reach out. I appreciate that. Well, thank you again. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Evan. I appreciate you doing an amazing job. So please keep up because I'm going to be tuning into all of your episodes from now on. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. I hear the lifting of our wings. Take to the sky, your sons and daughters. Our voices echoing like owls flying above the fields. Be heard, be heard. Above her crystal waters We are the sons and daughters of You may rise up, Prescott